You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are here today. Uh, we are Johnny Touchdownless as we're uh, kind of coming out of this NFL draft season. We'll still be doing a bit more of a draft review, obviously, and talking a bit about the future with the Arizona Cardinals. There's still plenty to break down. And here to join me to talk over it is Walter Mitchell from Revenge of the Birds, one of our staff writers. And Walter, first of all, um, how are you doing and holding up amidst everything with the coronavirus, staying safe, and uh, just this unprecedented time in our history? What's going on with you, sir? Well, I'm wearing my mask. I've got goggles because my mask fogs up my eyes, my uh, my glasses. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just hunkering down and um, trying to stay out of harm's way. It's like the path of the tornado, and you got to do your best to elude it. Um, it's it's terrifying, and uh, I guess now we're going to be swarmed with by murder wasps. Um, in addition, that's the latest uh, um, update. Um, so great times, and uh, hopefully, God willing, there's um, better testing and a vaccine on the horizon. How about you, Blake? How are you doing? Uh, about as well as can be, again, like you, a lot of with um, back in Arizona, we are in an interesting kind of state just because with the weather and the summer and all these things, there's some hope and optimism. And even to the point where some people had talked about sports potentially being played here, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And the hope, obviously, that we'll have is for uh, whether it's the doctors, vaccines, or just everything, uh, it would be a travesty to not have football be played this fall, especially with the Arizona Cardinals in such a position. So overall, I'm doing well, doing the same to stay safe. Um, obviously, it's something that I know uh, is not – uh, is likely, I think, at least as far as mortality for that. But just because that's the case, I've still made sure I, I, I to stay at home and not avoid group, you know, avoiding groups. Uh, it's definitely something to continue to take it seriously, if nothing else, but to make sure I can set the best example. And uh, it's something that we'll be able to get through, I think, together. Um, speaking at least of a little bit of togetherness, um, a lot of our Cardinals staff writers for Revenge of the Birds even national sources, everyone was also in together with agreement on the Arizona Cardinals and their draft class this year in 2020. The Cardinals were picking eighth in the NFL draft. And as we saw, we talked a lot about some of their uh, different positional needs in different areas. And one of the biggest ones was the need to cover tight ends to be able to fix uh, essentially a broken linebacker position. And uh, let's talk about that because the Cardinals drafted Isaiah Simmons and you had some interesting perspective on that, I think. Uh, why don't you talk about that first? How did you feel about the pick, Walter, of Simmons? Did you feel like it was a need, a value, and the talent himself? What are some of your thoughts on the newest member of the Cards? Well, I think being in the Eastern time zone, it was somewhere around 9.30 p.m. here. And I think I scared the hell out of my neighbors because uh, I was screaming and hollering, going crazy. Um, 
especially once uh, the, the Panthers turned in Derek Brown. I knew right then uh, that, you know, oh, my God, Isaiah Simmons is, is falling right into our arms. And, um, you know, the name Isaiah means Savior. And God help us. Uh, I think we've got a Savior in him in the sense that, you know, this is the this is a 21st century athlete who can cover tight ends. He can play cornerback. I mean, he's got four three nine speed. He's got length. He's got anticipation. He's highly athletic. I mean, he's so versatile. It's you know, he is the true unicorn of the draft. And I felt like I even said to to Ron Wolfley that um, on the on his radio show that I felt like in consecutive years the Cardinals drafted um, two unicorns, basically a Mike Michael Jordan and Kyler. Murray and Scotty Pippen and um, Isaiah Simmons. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still just uh, so excited that we were able to grab him. And I'm so pleased that Steve Kime didn't even tempt himself by taking trade calls. Apparently um, Tampa Bay was on the line trying to get through and uh, Kime never picked up. So that's how sure he was of the pick. So it's wonderful. I'm really excited to have him. Yeah, I think that was a lot that we debated about with me and John on our podcast, and ultimately the fact of the matter is that the Cardinals, with picking up a guy who might be a bigger Tyron Matthew, a guy who compares to a Cam Chancellor, it's a large step forward for the Cardinals' defense. Uh, I think the biggest question that uh, I had, at least going in, the only reason why I think, like as far as the talent level, I'm jumping up and down, the only pause that I gave was, after seeing last year with Vance Joseph's defense and how ill-developed it was, seeing a lot of the different issues that I had, it was more about questioning the architect rather than the plans. But I think John, I think John and I both agreed, if this is going to be at least uh, either a prove-it year for Vance or if it's going to be a case where the Cardinals are looking at the long-term goal of bringing in a fantastic talent like Simmons... Um, and then potentially trying to find the right fit, the right pieces for all of that to avoid having a, another Buchanan, another Redick, who uh, clearly he's more talented than either of those last two first-round picks at linebacker. But what are your thoughts on his fit in the defense? Uh, Joseph had a quote, I think, that went a little bit viral where there was some questions about that they saw him at linebacker. I felt like looking at the, the statement, it was more of the wording I didn't like as much. It was... The emphasis right. was we're going to let him be him, but then it's, well, we'll see what limitations we get when we come back in. And I respected Cliff Kingsbury for, he didn't talk anything or say anything. He just said, hey, yeah, well, he, we've got a tough off season ahead of him. We'll have to plug him in and see where it goes. But he didn't put anything negative about the, or any disclaimers, I should say. Whereas it felt a little bit like it was a disclaimer from Vance, which I mean, you could have just, in my opinion, this is what I like about Cliff is, if there is anything that happens with a player, like he's the opposite of Bruce Arians in terms of Bruce would just say, oh yeah, he's a failure in progress. Whereas Cliff, if there was a case where someone needed to talk about Larry Fitzgerald's speed, he'd make a joke about all of that being like, yeah, I mean like, you know, you look at Fitz out over there and he's like ready to race Kyler. It would have been both a talking about the limitation, but in a way that views it as almost as a positive. I felt like that that mishandling from Vance was part of why, Cliff, I think, at least has more of a future as a head coach in the league, and Vance maybe as far as the player management wasn't. Talk a bit about his fit in the defense and 
what are your thoughts at least about this concern that some Cardinals fans have had about their defensive coordinator, despite the Cardinals drafting a ton of talent for him for this year to fix that 31st ranked defense? Well, right now the Cardinals have the best setup for 34 linebackers they've ever had. Um, and they invested $40 million this year in all four of those guys. Kennard, even um, Joseph called him the perfect fit at Sam outside linebacker because he can set the edge and he can rush the, pat- rush the passer. He's got his 14 sacks in the last two years, rushing only part-time, by the way, um, in Detroit because they, they subbed in for him at times. <clears throat> but um, But then you have... Jordan Hicks, and they're, you know, the best signing on defense they had last year, who was right up in the top five of tackles in the NFL. And then Devondre Campbell, finally, we get a linebacker type at the weak inside linebacker position. And um, apparently, Vance has said that they didn't sign Devondre long-term because his asking sticker price was higher than they were willing to commit, but they did agree on us incentive deal up to 8.5 million for on a one year deal. But if he pans out there, I would do everything that, you know, I would do everything that, you know, that we can to keep him because that's been an Achilles heel for how many years now is finding the right guy for that spot. My instinct tells me that Isaiah Simmons is not the right guy at weekend side linebacker. I think uh, he's too diverse, and I I like him in other spots so much more. Um, I also like him over a tight end rather than being at a disadvantage and as an inside linebacker and trying to cover a tight end because he can't line up straight over him. That's uh, honor the run. Uh, and then, of course, you know, back to his his best fit, which is at, at uh, weak side outside linebacker in the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Jack position, the, the all out pass rusher. And this year we won't see him dropping into coverage. Thank God nearly as much. Um, so because of that, Blake, I think, you know, if you look at the, where Simmons fits, if he's going to start, it would be at strong safety. I mean, I love Jalen Thompson. So that's a tough call. But Thompson will be in, you know, nickel. He'll be on the field 67% of the time. So I'm not that worried about that. But the fact that you could put him over the tight end in base and move him around some too because they could mix coverages and you could rush him uh, from a variety of different angles. Cardinals traditionally have had great production from the safety positions. And they did last year with Buddha. So and Buddha says he's more comfortable with free safety. I still think that's a work in progress, but um, he did make strides there um, last season. They did move Buddha around a lot, and I could see them interchanging Simmons and Buddha, you know, in base every now and then. So I think it's it would be wiser to start him out the safety position and then, you know, take it, see how Devondre Campbell does for one, and then for two is, you know, kind of take it step by step step and make things simpler for for Isaiah in year one particularly with no uh, with a shortened um, you know off season 
Yeah, I agree with all of that, John. It's going to, uh, sorry, not John. I'm so used to that. That Walter, thank you, yes. Uh, old habits die hard here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Yeah, Walt, that's a great point because you're talking about having um, six potential players. Right now, the Cardinals' backfield and the secondary is pretty much set with your starters with Peterson, Alford, um, Buda, and Jalen Thompson. And so if you're talking about um, the slot corner being Byron Murphy and, you know, your hope at least for this year is that um, if Byron's going to be your long-term slot player or if he's going to eventually move out after the year for Alfred, you've got four or so different weapons over the middle in Simmons, Buda, uh, Jalen Thompson. Um, that's not even counting Deontay Thompson, who's another safety that the Cardinals have from last year. And if you put Simmons into that mix where at times he has to come in at strong safety, there's uh, essentially it reminds me a lot of the Todd Bowles-style defense back when they had Tony Jefferson, where they had essentially five DBs onto the field um, right. with having uh, essentially yep. a hybrid-type position where you still had your linebackers, um, you still had those playmakers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they've – because like you said, one player is going to have to come off of the field and um, the – Interesting question is, is it going to be Buddha? Is it going to be Jalen? Is it going to be Campbell, who's a starter, like you mentioned? And I think that's the thing that we aren't sure of quite yet. And so the hopeful benefit for the Cardinals is by having guys who could play a bit of nickel corner, maybe even a bit of safety in a Byron Murphy, just like Buddha Baker, just like Jalen Thompson. I almost want to say that all four of those guys, at least for me, seem to be since they're interchangeable enough, you can move, be able to bring blitzes from different areas, move guys around. It does feel like that someone's going to have to end up moving or sitting down. So unless Byron Murphy is moving to an outside corner type role and Albert Alford is coming in more of a depth position, which is you know not what you're paying him for, not why you drafted him, it does seem to kind of damper a little bit of that. And I'm very going to be very curious, uh, Walter, to see exactly how that works out. But you can't really deny the talent. And even if this is a year where Devondre Campbell ends up being in more of that Every down inside linebacker role can cover tight ends, and Simmons is brought along slowly. Um, I, I do kind of agree with you that I think it would be rotating in with Jalen Thompson to get him snaps on the field, putting him in much more of the, you know, whether it's adding as an additional package for an edge rusher, if it's covering up on a tight end when they've got two, or each of those spots. I do wonder if we're not going to get as much year one progress, at least for Simmons, unless there's a case of injury. In which spot, like you said, the ability to play multiple positions, uh, he could then come in and fill your linebacker role. He could fill your safety role if someone goes down. That, to me, I think will be very valuable for him. Hopefully there uh, is not an injury that occurs. But in the long-term approach, at least, to be able to come in, master, learn a position, even just be a guy who can just say, hey, just blanket tight ends this year when we're in passing down situations uh, and occasional edge rushing, I feel comfortable with that, given the fact that they have Campbell. But... Uh, it'll be interesting to see when we get into years two through four as, you know, we saw the inverse with Tony Jefferson up front in year one, and we even saw more snaps from Hassan Reddick year one. So uh, I'll be very curious. Do, do you think at least right now with Vance Joseph, do you have confidence that he is the guy or do you want to see it play out on paper? Or do you feel like that this is going to be a spot where we're talking about a new DC in 2021 potentially? What are your feelings right now? Well, I've been pushing like crazy uh, for the Cardinals to get a defensive um, advisor in because I do not feel confident in Vance Joseph's ability to call defenses. Um, you know, I, I know 
Steve Kime fell on his sword to cover for Joseph, saying it was personnel issues. Well, so many of the calls he made in games, particularly in in close games in the fourth quarter, were just wretched calls. I mean, awful, god-awful calls, where nobody ends up being covered. Um, you know, it was giveaway. It just, you know, they couldn't kick it off the field. If the Cardinals got a lead, bang, 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 the other team would go on an excruciating 12-play, easy pitch-and-catch drive for a touchdown. Um, you know, some of that, and, and in my opinion, a lot of that was on the coordinator. I mean, just not making sound play calls and not being aggressive. Um, you know, Chandler Jones and, and Terrell Suggs in coverage, you know, sending a twisting Buda Baker through the middle from an outside safety spot, um, you know, with the game on the line versus the 49ers. That play still sticks in my craw like none other. We should have beat the 49ers. That that play was such a giveaway and such a gift. Um, and Jimmy Garoppolo, all he had to do was back up a little bit and flick the ball about seven yards to a wide-open wide receiver with nobody covering the middle. Nobody. Vacated middle to boot. Um, that just so sticks in my craw. So. I can't, I can't say I have much confidence in Vance Joseph as a play caller. And I hope that he's, you know, that this was an, an aberration. I haven't followed his career that closely. I thought he was, he knew he, you know, because of his background, he'd be pretty good. But so far, I think he's been a colossal disappointment. And if I were the GM, I wouldn't have stuck with him this year. Not at all. Not after that. He was Mike McCoy bad in my opinion. And it wasn't because, just because of the personnel. Our secondary actually played better um, before Peterson came back. If you think about that, okay, um, so, you know, and as bad as they were, you know, in zones, which was the Achilles heel of that defense, and getting off the field on third down, there was no third down long enough to prevent. It was unbelievable. It was just, uh, it was excruciating to watch and just, you know, and on top of it, the, the irony is here we had two pro bowlers on that defense, you know, and Chandler Jones and Buda Baker, but the rest of you know, half of the players were running at half speed. It was just a colossal mess. And, um, you know, but I'm already thinking, I mean, I, I hope it works out. I'm pulling for Van it would be ideal if he's the guy and he can do this. But just since they're bringing him back, I'm like, you know, Dick LeBeau, get him as an advisor. I mean, Dick LeBeau had Troy Palomalu. He knows a little something about how to use safeties. I mean, get him on the phone. Make him an advisor. You know, um, Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips, Hall of Fame coordinator, is sitting out there. And he's a friend of Vance Joseph's. Why not bring him in as the Tom Moore type advisor? I mean, I don't get how you can just leave Vance Joseph in there without a safety net. I just don't get it. But I, my own safety net in the back of my mind is, I'll tell you what, Kyler has Cliff. If Vance Joseph can't coach Simmons or he can't coach up this defense this year, 
I'd make a huge pitch for, for Brad Venables um, to come over from Clemson to be our, our defensive coordinator. Just as Cliff came from the college ranks, get Venables. Now, the thing about Venables is that he's the highest-paid coordinator in college football. I think he makes close to $3 million a year. So you'd have to, you know, sweeten that kitty to get him to the pros. But I think knowing Isaiah and knowing how much he loves Isaiah and being on the, on the, you know, Briss on the, on the sort of on the, on the, uh, you know, the brink of being an NFL, a highly coveted NFL coach and a possible head coach down the line. That's a job he might strongly consider. And then you already know that, you know, he's going to get creative. He knows how to coach Isaiah just as Cliff knew how to coach Kyler. So that would be my, my point there. Um, you know, but as I say, I'm hoping for the best with Vance, you know, um, but I just didn't see much in year one to, to give me any sense of, of um, confidence, sorry to say. Yeah, I think a, a lot of that stems from, uh, like you said, the game and the performance and a lot of the issues that seemed to pop up were blamed on personnel. We did see Patrick Peterson miss games and um, I know a lot of people questioned if the reason why the corners looked better was just because of the fact that Vance was not able to play a press man, um, but was having to play a safety super deep over the top and was playing in these soft zones, which freed up tight ends to just run across over the middle as Jordan Hicks is not the same type of athlete that uh, Devondre Campbell or an Isaiah Simmons is to keep up. And teams just were able to dink and dunk their way down the field. Um, the question, of course, is, is that what Vance kind of came in like a Mike McCoy promising one thing and then delivering another where, you know, you get these 400 yard games that are given up at least, or is it a case where you look at it and say, Hey, you had uh, Chris Jones and Byron Murphy, uh, Tremaine Brock as your starters. And you had to end up letting go of the, uh, who is it? The uh, DJ Swearinger just because the play was so bad to play in. And you have, you know, four rookies on the field before Patrick Peterson comes back and, Peterson got roasted in his first game or two, uh, I believe at least after the Giants game was all said, and there were just otherwise issues that the Cardinals had. So I, I think it doesn't, like you said, uh, I would love a Brett Venables. The the issue, of course, is to get him to leave a place like Clemson, you'd probably have to be paying your defensive coordinator more than you're currently paying Cliff Kingsbury just because of that potential. And I, I, I just don't know. I, I think we'll reach a point where if the Cardinals can get back to or you see adjustments played where – uh, they treat Isaiah Simmons similar to, like, the Troy Palomalu. Uh, I believe Seth Cox, who's our site manager of Revenge of the Birds, com he compared that as well um, to try to use him in that regard. Um, if you can see those adjustments and you see the Cardinals get back to being that press team that's not having to be in zone all the time and you're able to see a couple of different types of blitzes, and uh, then you can probably say, okay, this is the, who the coordinator is. He showed that when he has the talent, he's able to adjust to his talent and be able to uh, produce with it. I just have a lot of skepticism, like you said, because I didn't feel like we saw as much adjustment for that last year, and we'll have to end up seeing what it's like for the Cardinals, especially with how the fit goes, because if Arizona is a team that once again is held back by their defense, I don't think that he will be long uh, or cut out for this type of job. And we'll, we'll see how it goes, at least fortunately now that he's got talent to work with. And uh, speaking of talent to work with, that's exactly what the new uh, 
with the newest player of the Arizona Cardinals who is added in round three. It's what his offensive line coach Sean Kugler will have to work with, and that's Josh Jones out of Houston. Uh, this is a pick that I was even, you know, potentially higher on than my co-host John was just because for me, he's a guy who I had analyzed and looked at as being probably the best pure pass protector, whether it comes to technique, to the way that he played, just the fact that the hand usage, the leverage, um, all of those different things were always already developed despite the fact that there were multiple O-line coaches and coordinators during his time at Houston. He falls out of the first round. Maybe there's questions since, you know, he said that he'd love to be a filmmaker in Hollywood someday about whether he's a football guy. Maybe there's questions about his competition. Uh, maybe there was questions despite the fact that he dominated senior bowl practices but had a rough game itself against some of those pass rushers and Bradley and I and um, I believe it was the other guy out of Syracuse, Alton Robinson. Maybe there were other questions that people had about him from that game. But what were your thoughts on it, Walter? Is this kind of one of those godsend picks that John talked about? Or is this more of a, a guy who fell to this place and we'll see what he's to work with for the Cardinals? I'm, I, I'm still optimistic about it, though. Well, first of all, just to address the senior bowl, I thought he played fine in the senior bowl. And I had, did his damage against some of the lesser tackles like Terrence Steele. Uh, Cliff's old uh, tackle from Texas Tech. But um, as a matter of fact, uh, everything I read and saw about Senior Bowl week was very positive for Josh Jones. He was the best tackle there, and he was really good in the drills. Um, You know, I think Josh Jones was just – what happened was the six teams that desperately needed a starting tackle – to slide in all grabbed him in the tackles in the first round. And I know there are folks in Miami who are upset that Miami took Austin Jackson instead of Josh Jones. Um, Miami needed a more natural left tackle. I think Josh Jones is that. Um, it's still mind boggling to me that they went with Austin Jackson, although I like the person a lot and I like his skill set a lot. But I think Josh Jones is a more talented player, um, and he's a K-rate fit, made to order. Um, you know, it, it's just it was such a gift. So when he did now, when the Titans took um, the kid from Georgia, uh, Isaiah Wilson, they Conklin was gone. They needed a right tackle for their running game. He was made to order. Josh Jones was not a fit in Tennessee. But in Arizona, he's a perfect fit. I mean, he can play either side. He's got the feet. He's got the length. He can get downfield and make blocks um, in our, you know, screen games. Um, he's got it all. And the only other team, as I looked and analyzed, who else would have taken Josh Jones? The reason why he fell to 72 was there really was only one other team in great need of a tackle, and that was the Seahawks at 58 in round two, okay? And they instead went with Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU, who, uh, by the way, the Cardinals really loved Lewis too. And I, I thought he was the best guard in the draft, unless you're going to move Worfs to guard, which I think is inevitable. I think he's he's going to be an amazing guard. But, but that just scares you just because he's been playing tackle for, for, you know, 
for his career in, in Iowa and you're changing positions on him, but Damian Lewis is probably the best guard in this draft. Um, I, I would say hands down, but so they decided to go guard instead of tackle there. But then when I looked at their tackle situation, boy, it's murky because Dwayne Brown is 35 years old. He's, you know, he, and it's starting to show and he has one year, you know, left on his deal that they can get out of with only a two million cap hit. And then on the other side, they just signed a, a free agent who's a, a one year, like $3 million prove it deal. So, you know, their, their situation in tackle, I think is, is more tenuous than a guard, believe it or not. And so it was, it's kind of amazing that they went with, with uh, Lewis, although again, we're talking about system fit, and this is part of the problem with the Seahawks is what's holding them back is identity. Like they want to be a smash mouth running team. Well, what the Cardinals found too when they tried that is then your 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 draft you, you know your drafting tackles who are run blockers first, and then what suffers is your passing game, right? So. You know, look at Russell Wilson. He's been running for his life the last four years. I mean, he's taken a pounding. And part of it is their sh- shoddy tackle play. Um, but they, they run the ball still. But when it comes time to protecting Wilson, he's you know, look at the Cardinals, how they've gotten after him in recent years. I mean, they've, they've, they've done damage to that line. Um, so when Jones got past 58, the rest of the teams had already taken tackles practically. So they weren't going to take another tackle. So it was like clean, clear sailing right to the Cardinals. The only pause I had was the Ravens jumping in at 71 trading up and they took Matabuke, the tackle defensive tackle. I was worried right there. I said, Oh no, you got to be kidding me. But they didn't take Josh Jones, and they didn't. They don't have a real need at tackle either. So, thank God. But I thought they might have pulled the old "oh, best guy on the board, trade up and get him." And, but they didn't. And thank goodness the Cardinals got Jones. And you know, he's it really makes me feel good that he's good insurance right away in case DJ Humphreys, go, you know, suffers another injury. And I think he can mix in at right tackle and see, you know. I don't think he'll start right away, but I think maybe, you know, once Sean Coogler gets his hands on him and wants to develop some, when he's ready, they'll probably play him out there. Yeah, I'm very, very curious to see, because like you said, there's two veterans that you have at the right tackle position. Marcus Gilbert's still coming off of an ACL that he suffered. We don't even know if he's going to be, you know, ready in time for it. When the normal training camps would start in July. Um, He may not even be ready for that there. You've got Justin Murray, the free agent that they signed at least, uh, I believe, on waivers actually, after he was released by the Cleveland Browns. He was your starter for basically almost all of last year. There was a couple of times that he was spelled, but like you said, the interesting question to me will be, do you plug Josh Jones in at the right-hand side and trust DJ Humphreys to essentially be, you know, your tackle for the next two to three years and then try to bring Jones along as a cheap option there? Or do you consider having Jones be your swing tackle and if Humphreys battles injuries again, he slides in at left tackle and suddenly you're talking about two years of commitment and 
maybe he'd take over as the more natural left tackle from that side. That's going to be something that I will find interesting because to me, what w- what you'd hope for, obviously, would be Humphreys is able to stay healthy, Jones is able to play and be your long-term uh, right tackle or fill one of those two tackle roles. Uh, clearly, the left-hand blind side is more of where I think that he would be a fit just because he's not a run blocker. And in that sense, that's part of why I didn't feel like Seattle was going to take him. I know that John and I mocked him there in our last mock draft that we did all the way at pick 27. Um, the fit they usually have is much more of picking a guy who's a you know, run blocker on the ends, especially at that right tackle position. So um, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Walter, when you're talking about how there were not as many teams that had a need at tackle, but also not a lot of teams that had a need at that more finesse tackle position. There's a lot of teams that went out and got their guy in either free agency or drafted them early. And as a result, Jones, I think, just kind of ended up falling just due to the fact that a lot of teams felt that they were needed to get their guy right away. And as things went on, maybe they didn't have him rated as highly or perhaps it was just one of those spots where a lot of them looked at that air raid off and said, ah, we're, it's not really a fit for us. And I think the Cardinals in this sense benefit by having Cliff Kingsbury in that air raid type of coach and air raid style to find a guy, like you said, who is the perfect fit. And the Cardinals didn't have to trade up for him at all. They got to keep their fourth round picks, which I think is crucial. Um, I will be hopeful that Josh Jones, like your best case scenario is he's an immediate upgrade over what they currently have and uh, Justin Murray, and he would hope that he doesn't have to start right away because you would hope that Marcus Gilbert could come back, play a full healthy season. I think that's wishing at this point, unfortunately, but then you could at least start talking about Josh Jones potentially being that swing tackle who could come in in those 13 personnel sets if they decide to run one or two of those and maybe even catch a trick play since he has that athleticism. And your hope is that you can have a good enough team that you get those veterans in. He doesn't have to start right away, but if he does have to, then I think that you're talking about a tremendous value pick there. Uh, Let's go and talk about those fourth rounders now. The Cardinals did go out and select two fourth round picks, both on the defensive line in Lecky Fotu out of Utah and Richard Lawrence out of LSU. On our podcast, I loved the Fotu pick. I felt like it was one of the better values you could find for getting a guy who is probably an earlier third round pick. At the, I felt like at least the latest, some people had him as a, I think it was the uh, Pro Football Weekly or some other scouting notebooks I saw, had him as a top 30 player in this draft. Uh, he ends up falling to the Fourth round, uh, former rugby player, man's the nose tackle position. It feels like this is kind of your Steve Keim drafting a player a year in advance to replace the aging veteran type of move. He's done that in the past. I appreciated that this was with a fourth round pick versus, you know, a first round pick as he's done previously. Uh, and then Richard Lawrence coming out of LSU. Uh, he's one of the guys who will be able to be much more of that two gap player, get up field after the quarterback. I feel like that his role will be much more situational, kind of in a rot- you know rotating around with some of the other guys. Um, maybe not as much pass rush upside, but he also showed the case some good skill against the run. What were some of your thoughts on these defensive line picks, uh, Walter, going back to back for the Cardinals in that fourth round? The, you know, I was just surprised as you know, Lucky Fotu being at one fourteen as I was Josh Jones at seventy two. I mean. There were two space-eating stud tackles in this draft, Derek Brown and Lucky Fotu. Um, the rest are kind of, you know, I I don't 
didn't lump Kinlaw in with them because he's more of an angular um, penetrator. If you watch his Alabama tape, for example, his whole, you know, his his style of play, he's more upright. Um, guy tries to s- swim around you and stuff. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call him a space eater. Um, but they were two classic stud bulls to put in a defense. And it's interesting because the Panthers and the Cardinals are two teams in a very similar mode of trying to rebuild their defenses from the inside out. You know, and the Panthers decided to go with Derek Brown at at seven, and you know as we know, but then they turned around in, in round two and drafted player that I had a red star on. I had two red star players: Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the running back, and um, Jeremy Chin, the safety, who is physically very similar. Isaiah Simmons and his week at the senior bowl, he was like white on rice on every tight end. He was amazing. Um, and for a small school kid and that would bought him a ticket into the second round where the Panthers took him. So they wound up with Brown and Chen and the Cardinals take Simmons and then they don't have to, they, they can wait till the fourth round to get both to the other space seeder, which I thought was huge value for him to get Foto there. The thing about the NFL is everybody wants three down players now because of the up-tempo offenses like the Cardinals, where they dictate who you keep on the field. But it's still so many teams, like we play in the NFC West. I mean, all those teams are running teams, all of them. And, you know, um, yeah, they do their share for a fair share of passing, but you know, the Seahawks want to run the ball first. So do the Rams. So do the 49ers. The 49ers running game is, you know, you've got to stop that. So, you know, and not everybody plays up tempo. So you need, you need a couple bulls up front. Now we got three of them. Okay. I would, if, I, if it were me on base defense, I would start, Fotu, Peters, and Phillips. That would take a little bit of the romance out of the running game of anybody's. I think it would force other teams, hey, we're not testing this middle. We'll have to, you know, plus, here's what they do. They keep your linebackers clean, okay, because they command double teams, and now offensive linemen aren't getting to the second level to make those blocks, right? So you've got, you know, you've upgraded your linebackers' positions, to clean up, you've got. I would. I would do that immediately. I'd make Foto a starter at that spot, and take him out in in you know on passing downs. Uh, I love too that they drafted Evan Weaver because again, like if things, you know, if De- Devondre Campbell's price tag is too much next year, whatever they can't resign him, he'd be a classic, you know, um, base starting inside linebacker. You'd, you'd want to you know, with the guys who can keep the, the linebackers clean up front so you can make all those tackles and then come out on passing downs. Um, I think the Cardinals did a little retro there with those picks, but I love it. We need that. We need that, that, that versatility. We need to have those kind of options. So, you know, Foto, 
Fofu, in my book, um, is a late first round, second round pick value wise. And so it was an utter steal to get him at one fourteen. And then I think the only pick of times that was maybe even discussed a little, because when you think about it, Simmons at eight, boom, Jones at 72, boom, Foto at one fourteen. Oh my God. Now I think they wanted James Lynch. I don't know for sure, but I know they were very high on yeah. James Lynch. Baylor and uh, the Vikings, you know, that was public knowledge that was printed all over Walter football. You know, they, they had Lynch in for virtuals uh, meetings. Um, you know, they, they were really high on him. I thought the Panthers were going to beat them to uh, the Cardinals to Lynch because of the connection to Matt rule, but the Vikings traded up right in front one thirty, and took Lynch which made me think, you know, oh, wow, okay. Well, because I was thinking Lynch the whole time right there. I don't know if other people were, but because Lynch is a totally different player than Foto. But I also was saying to myself the whole time is, is there another guy they prefer? Because don't we already have the James Lynch and Zach Allen? I mean, they're such similar players, and they play such similar styles. And I think Jack, uh, Zach Allen actually is a little more athletic and a little more versatile, um, a little you know, better playmaker than Lynch all the way around. But they're both tough kids who come after you every play. I mean, their motors are, 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 are big. And so, but then when the pick came on the screen of Rashad Lawrence, bells went off in my head because, you know, this is a guy, you know, the Cardinals have always done really well when they've had defensive linemen who are leaders. You know, I mean, like right now, Corey Peters, what a leader, what a great leader by example, a leader of men, you know, um, you know, frosty Rucker. I mean, this guy is going to be frosty Rucker on steroids. I mean, Rashad Lawrence is one of the, one of the, you know, most, likable players in this draft from a leadership standpoint, he's going to make your team better just by being the kind of leader he is mature kid who stayed in school to win a national championship. And guess what they did. And he didn't have his best year. He suffered through ankle injuries, but there in the playoffs, he had his best game. You know, he's going to be a consummate pro. And so when that, that came across the board. I was just like, Oh my God, the Cardinals are crushing this draft. What did you feel? Yeah. Walter, I felt the same as you about the James Lynch, Richard Lawrence pick. I felt like that was the guy that Arizona wanted. They spent a lot of time with him pre-draft big 12 playing at Baylor. It made a lot of sense. Uh, I think the similarities, at least for the two, I don't know if it means you need to be worried about Zach Allen. I know it was a neck injury that set him sit around for a while before eventually finally hitting IR. Um, maybe it's more of just a fact of they needed to bring in more depth and rotation on the defensive line just because last year they're ending with street free agents who, outside of Zach Kerr, I believe, no, none of them were signed to other NFL teams. And in that regard, it was just Corey Peters and a bunch of dudes in that sense. I think that you do want to add players like that. I think that Lawrence is maybe of the two of them. I've got a lot more faith in Foe too, because like you said, 
there were two guys in this draft who were be able to eat up all of that space. Brown went in the top 10 because people believe he has a lot more pass rush upside than Fotu, and he did a lot of that in the SEC, but to me, I think that Fotu going in the fourth was, you know, maybe if it doesn't have the exact same production, the value that you're going to have, I think, will be uh, incredible for him. Uh, and overall, I think it's a good example of how the Cardinals, in this sense, when you look at their offseason in a whole, uh, they spent their, I think it was at least two of their picks in addressing their biggest needs with the offense, which was finding another, at least solidifying that tackle position, so that, that way, even if Justin Murray ends up having some struggles, even if you don't see health come back, or if you end up in a you know scenario where DJ Humphreys is hurt and suddenly you have to take your right tackle, shift him to left, and sign a guy off of the street in case you don't have Marcus Gilbert ready to go, bringing in Josh Jones addresses that issue, uh, as well as bringing in a number one wide receiver like DeAndre Hopkins, who's able to not just take the top off of a defense, but be an all-around complete type of player, uh, especially on the back shoulder fade. I think that was huge. The other picks were all spent on the front seven, and to me, that's where the Cardinals needed to address uh, their positions the most. Um, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how their secondary and corner position looks, but the front seven was where they had all sorts of issues last year. You're trusting Peterson and Alford. Uh, along with the second-year Byron Murphy to be able to take care of that uh, back end for you. And the other pick that went to the front seven that I really appreciated overall was um, Evan Weaver, and he fits the same type of mold that all of the Cardinals players thus far have had. They all were team captains. They all were productive players, all at big schools. And that was one of the things that we've talked about in the past is where for every gem that you can hit on in a John Brown, there was a, a miss and a Brandon or a Chad Williams that you saw from taking a chance on a guy who hadn't really produced as much or from a small place and hadn't done it at the next level. And I think that Evan Weaver is one of those great examples and uh, of a guy who was productive, was at a big place, as a guy who, you know, he was second, I believe, in the nation in the last few years to tackles um, compared to, except for Luke Keekley, who went on to have himself a fantastic career. Obviously not the same type of athlete overall, but this is a pick that when you look at from national perspectives, uh, I think it was um, a couple of people, at least for that one, uh, and even local perspective, at least five different people I heard, and then that's not even counting me and John on our podcast, all compared Evan Weaver to the same type of player as Pat Tillman, which I thought was crazy, but it makes sense because it's not that you're going to be talking about this athletic freak, but you're talking about a consistent playmaker who's a leader on the team, always in the right place at the right time, and plays like he's more of the in the Larry Wilson era of the NFL football than today's smooth, uh, very finesse NFL football, which I think was a great pick for the Cardinals in the sixth round, even over a player that people were begging for in Eno Benjamin. We'll be able to talk about him in a little bit, but I thought this was probably at least out of the, the picks. This is maybe my favorite day three pick after Lecky Fotu, just because I feel like he's going to be in the league for a very, very long time health permitting. What were your thoughts on Weaver, Walter? Well, I, I knew when the, before the pick was made that I knew if Weaver was there at 202, they were going to take him. Um, I know the interest was very keen on, on Weaver. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, finally, we're drafting linebackers who played linebacker. I mean, bless you. I mean, this is a, you know, a 
quintessential read and react linebacker who's there before you can block him. We haven't had that from the weak side linebacker position in in ages. And we're trying to cram these college safeties in there. You know, for me, the first thing you have to do as an inside linebacker is run downhill to the football on a dime. When you read the guard blocks down, boom, you're gone and you're there in the backfield. College safeties don't do that. They don't have that instinct. They don't have that, that, that machismo that it takes. This kid will run through a brick wall when he sees the guard guard block down. And he, you know, I think the Tillman um, comparison is legit. I mean, he's a baller deluxe. And I love how he handled that. Said there's only one Pat Tillman. Uh, you know, you can't compare me to him because, you know, we should all try to be like Pat. Love that. That showed me great maturity from this kid um, already. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, he'll, I think he'll, there'll be a cult of Cardinal fans, you know, like the Dream Weavers or something, who will, you know, <laughs> show up in all sorts of, you know, colorful garb. I think there'll be a photo cult, too. In fact, I tweeted to Wolf that um, they better strap him down in a seatbelt and put a bib on him when fo- they run photo out as a fullback at the, at the goal line. I mean, I think. Wolf would go out of his mind loving that. Um, and if you see Flo Tu's rugby highlights, I'd give him the ball. Man, nobody can block that guy. I mean, he's that athletic, too. So, But Weaver's a really – these are smash-mouth football players that they drafted, and we really need that. We need to get Cardinal tough. You said it. There's, there are front seven players, um, you know, and, and there's – it's, it's awesome that Weaver was there in round six. I wouldn't have guessed it. In my publications, they had him as a second or a third rounder. Um, and I kind of thought it would be late third, early fourth for him. So to get him in the sixth round is amazing to me. You know, it just shows you how the combine screws everything up. Um, they don't dra- they're drafting athletes and not, not real football players. This kid is a baller and he'll make any team better. Um, just on special teams. That's to start with. And then, you know, God, I love, I, that's, that's another, you know, his name means gift from God. Um, in Nigerian. <laughs> and this is this whole draft. It's just it's stunning to me. I mean, in um, the Lindy's publication, they had him as a third rounder before the combine. Um, you know, they go right through the super, the senior bowl, and then they publish this thing. And they had Simmons as a first, Jones as a second, Foto as a first or second, Lawrence as a fourth, Weaver as a second or third, and Benjamin as a third. How's that for, you know, a draft where you wow. didn't have um, a second or a fifth round draft pick, right? I mean, that's before, that's on football ability, you know, and not, you know, diluted by combine measurements or whatever. Um, so, but, you know, you know, how is the world? Explain to me how Eno Benjamin, except for the fumbling issues he had this year, which some running backs go through and you can 
thought, the effort, the passion, the and then that spin move. You know, let me just add one more thing because I want to hear what you have to say about him. You know, I was my red star offensive player was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And the more I looked at that, you know, because I was saying is that if if you put someone smaller than Kyler at running back who's good, defenses have to start playing on their knees to pick these guys up. I mean, this is a phenomenon that the, the Cardinals have with all that motion and, you know, craziness going back and forth. Just to pick up a smaller running back on an RPO or just on a straight handoff from Kyler um, is going to be very difficult. And so if you look at Eno, and, and Eno's spin move is very similar to um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's. And, you know, and he's Eno's not going down on first contact. He's just a tough kid and a battler. And then sometimes that's why running backs fumbles. Maybe they hold, you know, they, they try to scrap for more than what they, they can get. But you got to love this kid. Um, and he's a local player and, you know, the local flavor. He, too, I think, will have a little, you know, sort of fan section. Um, you know, it's just an amazing thing. Think of it. He makes it to 222 in the draft. Are you kidding me? That is just bizarre. So anyway, take it from there. Let's let, let me hear what you have on Benjamin. Yeah, you know, it was one of those cases where, like you said, gift from God. What I felt for the Cardinals when looking at their team, their fit, the reason why I think John and I had Edwards Hilaire as the number one was because we saw his fit in an air raid offense um, is absolutely perfect. The, the LSU Tigers last year ran essentially in a lot of ways the Saints offense, which in a lot of cases was pulled in and is much more built around finding athletes, distributing the football, spreading it out. Uh, that was another team that was similar enough, but his fit overall with the Cardinals would have been fantastic because you're talking about a small Smooth athlete who's able to break tackles, make plays. The biggest difference between the two of them was, I think, the and even the athleticism. Like, there's a if you're talking about straight speed as far as for 40 times, uh, you know, he ran a faster 40 overall than Edwards Allaire did. But as far as for yeah. the smoothness, when you're talking about with the cuts, the abilities, the biggest thing that I saw at least is the difference between the two was Edwards Elaire was so smart in what he did when running out of duo and recognizing his blocks, picking things up, reading defenders, and was so adept and in control. It was like it was a different level of body control is how I feel. Whereas Benjamin, yeah. you could see flashes of a lot of those, but you'd also see sometimes where he'd try to create a bit on his own and try to do a little bit too much himself. Some of that obviously right. I think came from you see at times this last year he struggled running behind a pretty much all freshman line where maybe there's guys who get blown up or miss their blocks and it felt like he had to kind of carry the team on his shoulders a bit extra. When you saw him with the uh, advanced blockers uh, at Arizona State the year before where he went off for I think it was like 1,400 to 1,600 or so yards, uh, he right. looked like he was one of these kind of, you know, only reason he'd fall in the draft was just due to his size. He's got excellent hands. Um, the biggest issue that he had outside of that was fumbling, where there is a couple of lost fumbles he had, just getting a little 
kind of a little, you'd say as a skier, you get too far ahead of your sticks where you kind of lean your body out for that one and guys could dislodge the ball um, just because your center of gravity is a little bit off. Right. Um, but as right. far as the overall creativity and entertainment, like, you're talking about a player who essentially you're like when you look at him in his tape, you're like, it's not like he's, you know, got the size or speed where he wins, but he's kind of a guy who can do pretty much anything that you're asking of him and he can go out and do it. It's not going to be maybe at a elite level, but he's gonna be able to give you everything you want. And that's what the Cardinals I think needed the most with their third running back, because you already have your Kenyon Drake, you already have kind of your interior sort of being able to cut on a dime um, type of player that Chase Edmonds was, where get the ball, follow the blocks, one cut, and you're gone. And what they think that they really needed in this sense was adding another one of those type of players who maybe brings a different skill set than Chase Edmonds, but if Kenyon Drake goes down to injury, you could give it to both of those guys or have them each in the backfield and still be able to perform and produce I felt like that this is a pick that obviously, as people said, could have gone into the fourth round at least, falling all the way to the seventh. Uh, and in a lot of cases, we have uh, another Pat Tillman comparison with the first Arizona State player drafted by the Cardinals since Pat Tillman in the seventh round. And I think that he's going to stick around a long time in the league and might even get some action this year if just because he's going to be a gritty, tough-as-nails special teams player for you. And he's going to be a guy who will, I think, be able to break his way and work his way into uh, maybe not a ton of the game day snaps because we've seen Cliff Kingsbury seems to prefer having um, with the quick huddles and a lot of the offense and the pacing. He seems to like to have one running back there a lot more often. It makes it a lot easier for the team to be able to see multiple looks and formations, whether it's splitting into five wide. But it'll be fun to be able to see him become, like you said, another fan favorite similar to Weaver. And to me, what I appreciated about the Benjamin pick was the Cardinals this year took guys at their different spots, and there's not a single pick that you felt like was baffling. There's not a pick that you felt like it was, oh, that's interesting. Why did they do that? Especially because when they took Weaver – I looked at that and was like, okay, I mean, I would have probably looked at taking Benjamin there, but when I saw who Evan Weaver was, I went, oh, there's no question. Like, you want to make sure you get a guy who, you know, if all goes right, he's going to be either a special teams captain or a defensive player, or if he's able to, you know, prove that his instincts are able to be unmatched in the tackling game, he's going to end up making his way onto a field or onto a starting roster more often just because of the lack of quality linebackers that there are in the NFL now. And you got a guy like uh, Isaiah Simmons, who is a smart, tough football player. Everyone's looking for those type of athletes higher in the draft, but there's a lot of them that, like we saw with Reddick, just don't end up panning out. So finding a much more sure thing, for sure in a backup role, who's able to spell Jordan Hicks if needed, um, given his history. In that same regard, I think you've got this guy now in Eno Benjamin who spells that. And to me, that's why I loved this draft overall, because after your top two needs of covering a tight end were met, it felt like you were just drafting for depth players with potential upside to take over in a year or two should they manage to you know live up to their potential overall and that's why i felt like that in this draft in a lot of cases it did feel like when you as the cherry on top to an off season where now that the off season feels like a home run it'll be up to seeing how the guys fit on the field because we we know that it's not it's not going to be a perfect draft (laughs) there's going to be players who exceed or fall short of expectations but as far as for where the cardinals are right now i felt like it was the perfect draft at the perfect time What, what were some of your thoughts overall on um just the draft as a whole as we wrap up this episode of the ROTB pod. 
just, uh, you know, one nice surprise after the next. And uh, I'm still just so delighted that, that, you know, sometimes the draft actually comes to you. I have to laud Steve Kime for his patience sitting there with these, they're their top guys trickling toward them with every pick and not, you know, and managing to stay put and take them, you know, take, take them when they, when they came. Cause it, we know it doesn't often work out like that. And this draft did for the Cardinals. I think the off season on the whole has, um, you know, I thought, you know, a couple salaries were overpaid, but you know, in retrospect, if you don't sign DJ Humphreys, you boxed yourself in to draft and tackle at number eight. And uh, with Simmons on the board, uh, having, uh, you know, known that our left tackle is signed was such a luxury to be able to, you know, take a unicorn. I mean, a, a, just a, a whole difference maker on, on that side of the ball where we need it so badly at, at, a, at a team need that in my opinion was number one. And it sounds like you and Johnny felt the same way that the, that covering tight ends, you know, imagine how close those games would have been. And I think the Cardinals could have won their fair share of them. They just simply covered a tight end. Um, so yeah, just really excited. And I like some of the, uh, undrafted college free agents. Um, I had a early 53 man roster projection the other day and I have two of them making the team um one is wide receiver Jojo Ward from Hawaii loved watching his take can't believe it. I know that's a guy who should have been drafted that's how deep insanely deep this draft was in wide receivers um and his his teammate Cedric Wilson or whatever Cedric uh uh, he he too. I tried texting him. He didn't text me back, but he looked really good to me. That Hawaii um, receiving core was really fun to watch. Just really quick, and uh, of course they play in an air raid. Um, and um, so uh, I think Ward. He's got four four speed. He had two thousand yards in the last two seasons. Um, and I think 20 touch either 18 to 20 touchdowns last two seasons. I know he had over 10 this year. Um, just a clean catcher of the football reminded me kind of of KJ Hamler, um, the Penn state kid, um, who I really liked a lot. Um, just, but maybe even smoother in catching the football. And then the guy on the defense that I really like is Zane Lewis, the cornerback from Air Force, I think, and this might be interested, interesting for the fans, I went back and thought, well, what if the Panthers took Isaiah Simmons? How different would the Cardinals draft have been? And I think, I think that they would have taken Derek Brown at number eight, and I wouldn't have blamed them. They need, we need a, a, a wide body up front. With not having a second-round pick, I don't know if they could gamble that Fotu would have been there at 72. I wouldn't have gambled that. Um, and I don't know if trading back would have ensured them that they'd be able to take Brown. So I think they probably would have stayed put and taken Derek Brown. Um, 
it might not have been the most popular pick among the fans, but I certainly would have been excited. And, um, you know, I love that kid's makeup and his leadership. And, um, I think he's, he's an outstanding player. Um, but, uh, then I think at 72, they would have taken Zach Moss, the running mm-hmm. back at uh, Utah, which, uh, I know they loved him. And, um, you know, I think if given the chance, they, if, if Moss were there at 114, that would have been a huge decision between Foto and Moss because I'm, I bet they had them similarly graded. But um, so then at 114, I think they would have gone defensive back there because they haven't, you know, and probably my guess would have been Caleb on Wallace, um, Isaiah Simmons's um, teammate, safety counterpart at um, Clemson. Or Tanner Muse, although I think Muse went off the board earlier than that, actually. Um, but, I, but I think it would have been a safety type at 114 in the, that mode. I think Caleb on Wallace would have would have been a nice fit. And then at 131, they would have come right back. I think they once again with Richard Lawrence, or if Lynch was there, but it, but he wasn't, so it would have been Lawrence there. They would have taken Weaver at 202, and I think at 222, they would have taken, um, you know, uh, Zane Lewis from the Air Force. I mean, the money that they gave him as a priority free agent indicates that they were probably sitting with him through the rest of the seventh round, saying, the minute this thing's over, if you're not drafted, we want you. And um, there's a lot to like. I mean, he's 6'1", 190. Um, he's got fluid hips, um, makes good breaks on the ball. Um, I think he's going to be a keeper. Um, it looks to me like this kid can really play. So at it, we weren't able to address it in the draft, but I think in, in essence, we got another draft pick when we, two others, when we signed those two kids. And there are a couple other interesting names we'll talk about in the future that are, that have just legitimate chances, but wow, what an off season and, you know, just so excited for Cardinals football. We're definitely, um, you know, uh, moving in the right direction. And um, I can't recall being this excited for a season in a long, long time. Um, probably back to the Warner days uh, um, in 2008. Um, because I think we have a legitimate chance, if the defense can hold its own, to be very competitive. And, and, you know, especially with the extra, um, you know, playoff slot this year with seven teams. Um, who knows? Uh, I think we've got a chance. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, seven team is especially one of the cases where uh, you're talking about a opportune moment for the Cardinals. They haven't had a, a team that I think fans have been this excited about since the 2016 season, but the 2016 season was coming off of a NFC Championship game appearance, and there was definitely a lot of uh, hype that went around with that, but I don't think it was anything similar to this because in that year it was about the trade for Chandler Jones and it was about the signing of Kandichi, and then in camp Brandon Williams was getting all of the rave highlights like people from Gil Brandt and others, and he just as soon as it hit the actual games, it just ended up showcasing the fact that you know, the athleticism was there he showed in camp, but the instincts were not. And I think that's where the Cardinals, at least coming into this spot, because of the young franchise quarterback, because of that window, and 
because of the fact that a team like the Rams has taken a step back. A team like the Seahawks, at least, seem to be competitive each year, but they also seem to not really kind of address or fix some of their core issues for the most part each year, whereas the Cardinals really have. And I think that's part of why the excitement is palpable and real. And I think that's part of where, in a lot of cases, a lot of Cardinals fans are um, hoping that we are going to get a season this year. Uh, let's close with this question. A lot of talk has been made, especially with last year, about before the last two or three games are played, if the Cardinals had you know, lost out for the season and ended up with a top three pick, there is a lot of questions if Steve Keim was going to be back that next year or not. And he's since gone out and had a tremendous offseason by all accounts, uh, even going above expectations and being able to add a DeAndre Hopkins while getting rid of David Johnson's contract, which of course is, uh, I believe, between that and Simmons um, and maybe Josh Jones following the signature moves of the offseason. Do you feel like that he's done enough to redeem himself so far? Is it a case where we'll need to see what the product is like on the field, or is it a case where still a lot of question marks that you have about the overall direction of the team because I personally I feel like that they're in a much better direction than they are previously uh, myself yeah I, I really excited what he's done I have to say I I was very doubtful as to whether they should bring him back particularly after hiring two just a, two of the most incompetent coordinators. Um, I've seen, you know, both uh, on their side of the ball leading to the worst offense in 218 to the worst defense in 219. And I'm just really bad worst. I mean, just awful. And, um, you know, GM's got to hire these coaches. And in both cases, these coaches were supposed to be mentors, you know, former head coaches who would be, who would take care of their sides of the balls and be mentors to the young head coach. Well, that was a crock. These guys couldn't mentor anyone. I mean, they couldn't even coach their sides of the ball. Hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I hate to say this, but, you know, and I hope I'm just so wrong, you know, about, um, you know, I was wrong about kind because, I wouldn't trade anything in right now for what he's done um, this offseason. I don't know if you would, too. You would either, because he has been drawing aces left and right. You can criticize him for maybe some of the salaries, but he got, also got players on really good deals. The Devin Kennard deal of seven a million a year is a really good deal. Um, you know, um, even Phillips at 10, might if he's, stacking on last year if, if he develops the way that the cardinals believe he'd be a bargain at 10 a year um that's a huge um get by the way phillips a player of his size who can stop the run and rush the faster nine and a half sacks and just coming into his prime and into his own and his confidence level that that was a huge get. so yeah up and down and this draft was just aced and the preparation that went into the draft and being ready to make those picks and the patience, everything, A-plus, Steve Kime, A-plus. I'm on your side. I'm, I'm with you. But, but, my big buck, but, and hesitation is you've got to do something. I mean, I, you know, uh, he's got to do something to make sure. He's got to give Vance Joseph a safety net. And if he just lets Vance Joe thinking, oh, Vance will figure it out. 
you know, I'm also not all that trusting in the defensive assistance. Um, I've always been sort of nervous about Billy Davis. Um, when he was our coordinator, he was not good. Um, I think he's a great guy, and I think he's he's a pretty solid position coach. But, you know, I am i don't know if he can mentor Vance. I, I'm not sure of that. You know, I was hoping they could get Mike Nolan, but he got whooshed away. Um, there were other guys out there. And now Wade Phillips is still sitting out there. I, I just – there's so much at stake. We can't let Kyler go through another season where he's just slumping and knowing on the bench that, oh, God, we're going to lose the game because the defense is just going to, gonna, you know, give it right back. And so, but the personnel additions, keep, Steve Kahn's right. He said to Vance Joseph, look, you know, no more excuses. He was saying it tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. I mean – he fell on his sword for Joseph and said it was personnel issues. Well, now, you know, Kime has has dealt Joseph a really good hand. And if he plays it well, then all's good. But if he doesn't, how culpable is Kime then? And how confident can we be that the next coordinator that he hires? I mean, you have to get these coordinator positions in today's NFL. I mean, think about this, Blake, and I'll leave you with this thought. And I know you've thought of this because you think of everything. But here's, <laughs> here's the thing. We're, we're playing in the NFC West. Our defensive coordinator has to game plan against Shanahan, okay, Schottenheimer, and McVeigh. If you don't have big boy pants and know what you're doing, you're not going to beat those guys, any of them, you know, on a consistent basis. You have to be able to match with, with, with the best. And we have with Cliff, and I think Cliff is evolving into one of the best play callers. You know, um, I honestly would say right now, Cliff is fourth in the division in play calling. Um, you know, there's he's because he's he's learning on the fly and he's making huge strides. but. But the other three in front of them are proven guys. I think Shanahan's the best in the game. He and McDaniels right now. And I think Schottenheimer's very cagey. But and McVeigh, I mean, I love the way he runs it off. So this is, this is what's at stake here. We want to be good. If we want to contend in the NFC West, we got to beat those guys. And to beat him, we got to have a, a defensive game plan and a defensive coordinator who has the moxie and the cleverness to match wits with those guys. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's why Brenton Buckner may have been the most uh, overall important hire of the offseason, just because of bringing a guy of his caliber who can develop young players. And like you said, there's at least enough balance over there, I believe, that um, what Kime said was, hey, you've got no excuse now for not covering you know, tight ends or not being good. And in some cases, you could say maybe that was a joke, but it also probably came off a little bit as a threat because they really did go out and address all of that. And if it's not successful, uh, as we've seen from the Cardinals in the past with Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy, they're not hesitant to 
essentially perform or, you know, have them get, get the heck out of Dodge. And I think that's part of what Steve Kime this year, it really ultimately proved in a lot of cases from the Kingsbury and Murray hiring and then followed up with an offseason that was able to essentially deliver. And in that sense, if you're talking about a production business, there's people who are, uh, you know, maybe won't like or won't see as much, but a lot of that's probably going to change. And uh, the vision of the Cardinals, I think, to this point has been excellent. Um, and I do think that it is a case of we haven't seen a lot of four, three, four type of defensive coordinators with head coaching experience. We're just not existing outside of what Vance had. And we'll see how this 2020 season overall goes. As uh, I think that ultimately the core is we know that the offense is going to hopefully take a step forward and improve. Uh, there's a lot that Kingsbury and Murray have on their plate, but they've at least proven enough where I think they're going to be able to see a little bit of a slide. You know, if Kyler goes out there and falls short of an MVP caliber season, but shows significant improvement, I'm pretty sure that everyone's going to give Kingsbury a pass. The issue, like you said, is going to be, will the Cardinals on defense be able to show enough to be able to improve to being an average unit? If they can do that, I think that the Cardinals have a bright future ahead of them. And if they don't, then it's going to be interesting to see how they follow up with uh, with the likes of Vance Joseph. Um, he's kind of the biggest storyline outside of Murray this season, in my opinion. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that goes. Well, that will wrap it up for us here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7 for that content, as well as on Revenge of the Birds. Walter, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, feel free to plug yourself for any of your latest articles. I know you had a tremendous new one about the Cardinals having a, a brand new approach with their coaching staff and the players. Um, you want to go ahead and plug that as well as your Twitter account? Well, I, I'm a huge fan of new school coaching. Um, for a 65-year-old guy, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> but one thing about <laughs> teaching that, that um, kept me, my head in the game, is you really need to evolve um, because not just for yourself, because who you're really working for are the students and the players. And, um, you know, a new school approach to me makes a lot of sense today. And it requires um, individual um, educational planning um, and strategy. So I wrote about that today. Um, the old school day of my way or the highway, or you just got to fit in, um, or we're going to ostracize you and call you knee deep and um, embarrass players and shame them. It's not going to work, you know, um, in the long run and probably not in the short run either. But so I'm really excited that in Cliff Kingsbury, I think that he, because, you know, they said it was a deterrent coming from the college ranks with no NFL experience. I'm going to flip that over and say, I think his key to success could be what he learned at college about relating to players and coming up with the right um, instructional strategies to motivate these kids to learn. Because, you know, learning styles are so different, Blake. I mean, if you got you, me, and Johnny in a room with a teacher, I bet they'd have to, you know, with each one of us kind of focus in on what we learn well. Um, and rightfully so. Hmm. I mean, it's always different. Um, you can't teach and coach people the same way. You have to individualize it. And new school coaches understand and know that. The other thing is I just want to give a shout-out to Seth uh, Cox and um, our editor, who does an amazing job, all of our writers, John Buckley, 
you and Johnny, um, Andy, um, who else am I missing? Oh, Robert Band, yeah, um, Andy Kwong, doing a great job. This off season has been a real joy and a pleasure. Most of all, you know, beyond what we all do, our membership there at ROTV, it's a welcome discussion every day. And I got to shout out to all, all of our members. We had this draft covered from A to Z. We had all the scenarios. And the funny part was, if anyone of us tried to sell a mock draft with us taking Simmons at one, Josh Jones, 72, Lecky Foe, two at, at 114, we would have gotten laughed off the board, and rightly so. So maybe that'll keep us open-minded for next year. But our ROTV situation with our membership, I think we got the most knowledgeable, passionate Cardinals fans in the world, and there's so many, there's, um, you know, so many people around the world contributing from Chile, from Britain, from Australia. One one of the good friends of mine from China. Um, so you know, this is great. It's a great time to be a Cardinals fan. It's also be a great time to be a part of ROTV. So I want to thank everyone, and thank you, Blake. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Always appreciate you joining in, at least. We love to be able to dock Cardinals football with you. Get your perspective is fantastic. Again, you can make sure you follow Walter at uh, WBJ Mitch. I believe that's correct. Yes. Uh, make sure that yes. that's the case. Uh, it's always great to see that dialogue for all of that. It's been a fantastic. This will kind of wrap up a lot of our draft breakdown podcast that we have for you guys. Thank you guys again so much for listening in. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in to us for the first time, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, as well as Google Podcasts. You can also look for us over at places like Himalaya, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio as well to find your Revenge of the Birds podcast or online, of course, at revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, for me and for my co-host, John, uh, who was able to join us today for everything, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you on the other side. Hopefully we'll get one step closer to seeing football again. Take care, everyone.